You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Rarely do we hear that much about God's holiness. Just think about all of the Christian songs that you hear on the radio, or even the praise songs that you sing on Sundays or on other days during your fellowship times. And how many of the songs are about love and about forgiveness and grace, compared to how many of the songs are about justice and God's holiness and moral standards. And you'll see that pretty much 80% of the songs that we have is about love and forgiveness and grace, more of the softer virtues of God, and then 20% is more about the harder virtues of God, the holiness and the justice and the moral stance of God. And honestly, I think when it comes to a for-profit industry that is Christian music, you're probably going to make a lot more money talking about love and forgiveness than you are going to be talking about the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and also the holiness of God. But because of this, and even it has spilled into our church, we'd rather do a Bible study on the love of God than on the holiness of God because people will pay more attention to the love and they fear the holiness of God. Because of that, it has seeped into our church culture. And now, we don't know how it mixes unless we really think through the issues. So there are both people, Christians and non-Christians, who are confused about how Christian love and Christian holiness mixed. And we see this because we see those two perceptions. There's the first perception, perception of a Christian, which is the kind priest. A Christian is to be like that one old gentleman who goes around and goes to sick people in their hospitals and prays for them and says kind, kind words to them. Or it's the, it's the gentleman who goes to the soup kitchens and the homeless shelters and talks to them, gives them food, encourages them. That's what a Christian's all about. And then we have the other perception the guy who's next to the airport when everyone comes out and he's holding a big giant sign that says, turn or burn, accept Jesus or go to hell. And sometimes he's not just wearing a placard or holding up a sign. He's holding a megaphone and saying that out loud, turn or burn, you're all going to hell, sinners, unless you repent, right? And so these are the two perceptions, the love of God and also the holiness of God and oftentimes we don't know how to mix it. Why? Because there's no third perception. I haven't seen anywhere in Hollywood a really good caricature or character of a person that balances both of those things together. Now, a good example that I saw was a few years back in Australia, there was, they were going to pass a bill legalizing gay marriage. So they were following what we have been doing here in America. And so the guy, he, he says he used to be a Christian, went to... Uh, the church called Biltong, Bill Bill Australia. Now, the church isn't named Biltong, but it rhymes with uh, Biltong, okay? But I don't want to say his name. But he went to Biltong Church in Australia, and he interviewed the youth pastor intern there. And he, he asked him this question because it was well known that the senior pastor of Biltong Church uh, had casted his vote for no, he did not want gay marriage to be legalized. And he asked this youth pastor intern from this church. You know, what do you think about that? Because as the lead pastor of this mega church, which has so much influence 
in Australia and around the world with its music, don't you think it's contradictory to the love of Christ? I mean, if this person is supposed to be so loving and so caring and forgiving because he is the pastor, how does that square with his vote? And I was so dis- disappointed by his response. He said, well, that's really, I can't really speak for my senior pastor, but if that's what he voted, that's what he voted. A lot of Christians voted no. And then he, the interviewer became more personal and more insistent. And then he, he cornered him and asked him this question. Well, you're going to be a youth pastor soon at this church. What if you had a couple come and they were gay and they wanted to get married? Would you perform their marriage? And all of a sudden, he looked down and, and he got really awkward. Uh, well, I, I guess it would depend. I would pray to God uh, about that. And then the interviewer became more insistent. Wait, why do you have to pray to God about that? Because you're a Christian, right? Isn't God a God of love and grace? So if you have to hesitate, wouldn't you not be showing that love and grace? And then this was his response. And after he said this response, I just facepalmed myself because I was like, no, you had a chance to share the love of God as well as the truth and holiness of God at the same time, and you failed to do it. He said, uh, can we talk about something else? <laughs> like, and this is, this is on air. You can see this on YouTube going to millions of people, and I was so disappointed that one of my favorite worship bands that come from this, this church had a person like this that, that said that. But a lot of us probably also would be confused because we were not trained in understanding the holiness of God. We have been trained to understand primarily the love and the forgiveness of God. And in that situation, it could have easily been resolved if you understood how the holiness of God mixes with the love and grace of God. And here's the truth. Some people are called by God to be, quote-unquote, the priest. And others are called by God to be the prophet. But the majority of us... The average Joe on the pew, the average pastor, is called to be a mix of both. We are to be able to reflect love and also the holiness of God at the same time. But how do we do that and why? And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 14, it tells us how to do that and why we're supposed to do that. Now, Matt has eloquently already read through the Scripture verses for us, so I won't do that again, but I'll share with you the reasoning behind that, because a lot of times when we read Scripture, it's done, and then we're like, okay, but what did it say again? You know, how how did that work? Well, here's in summary Paul's reasoning through verses 1 all the way to verse 14. In verses 1 to 2 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul exhorts the Ephesian Christians to love others the way Jesus did. Then in verses 3 to 7, he continues by exhorting the Ephesian Christians to live holy lives specifically in the areas of sexuality and also speech, with a divine warning for those who don't. Then, in verses 8 to 14, Paul gives the reason why to do these two things. He gives the reason by this, that we should live loving and holy lives because they are children of light, light being metaphorical or symbolic for Christ, not darkness, And should expose any darkness with light in order that they could all have a chance to live as children of light. Now, what's interesting here is when you read through the Bible about love and holiness, you never see any confusion about how the two mix. They just talk about it as if they were the same thing. And a great example is here. 
you don't really see them wondering, well, you know, this is about the love of God, so I shouldn't talk about the holiness of God, or this is about the holiness of God. How does that relate to the love of God? They see it as two sides of the same coin, and the material and the substance of that coin being the light of Christ. And if it's not a difficulty for the people that wrote the Bible, it should not be a difficulty for us. So let's see Ephesians chapter 5 again, verses 1 to 14, with these in mind. Verses 1 to 2, Paul exhorts the Ephesian Christians to love others the way Jesus did. Verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, there's just so much to unpack from just these two verses. So I'm just going to go through this uh, really quickly for the sake of time. Now, the first thing that we notice is, wow, Paul really gives them a challenge. Be imitators of David Kwong, right? I think that would be really easy to, to, to do, right? We imitate David Kwong, do his certain... The way, the way he's looking at me right now and, and listening to my sermon is, is this. So, yeah, that's his style. You know, it's easy to imitate a human being, especially one that you know, and we've known each other for over 10 years now. But he doesn't say be imitators of David Kwong. He said be imitators of God. What? How is that possible? Well, it's possible... Because we have people here who actually knew Jesus or knew people who were close to Jesus personally. This was still within 50 years of the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so to be imitators of God, what they meant was to look at Jesus Christ, who they knew to be God in human flesh, and to imitate his ways and his lifestyles. And that's what Paul was encouraging the Ephesian believers to do. Now, what does that mean? Well, he continues to go and focus on how to be an imitator of God, because you can imitate Jesus in a lot of ways. Paul talks about living a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So how are we to live a life of love? The Ephesians would have wondered. Paul answers it. Well, Jesus Christ sacrificed for everyone, and so you must sacrifice for others including the Ephesian church, your own brothers and sisters in Christ, and other people, just like Jesus did for you. And so they were to live lives that were more sacrificial for one another. Now, there's great significance in the phrase, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This was not a phrase that Paul chose capriciously. Paul didn't go, hmm, you know what? I want to talk about some really cool adjectives to describe uh, what Jesus did on the cross. Oh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good, fragrant sacrifice to God. I'll just write that down. This had great significance because when you go through the Old Testament, starting from Genesis chapter 6, when Noah gave his sacrifice to God for allowing him and his family to be spared, it actually says in Genesis that after he gave the sacrifice, the aroma went up to God, and God took it as a fragrant offering pleasing to him, and therefore he was pleased with Noah. And you see that in the middle of the Old Testament, at the end of the Old Testament, as the sacrificial system began to be more institutionalized and organized, and then all the way 
through the New Testament till now, that now, like what happened with Noah and his sacrifice, Jesus was the sacrifice for all of us sinners. And when he was sacrificed, God saw that sacrifice, and it was a fragrant offering to him, and he was pleased, and his wrath was taken away. Now, what it meant for the Ephesian Christians back then was this, wow, I can please God now by living this life of love, by sacrificing myself for other people, and then God will see that as a fragrant sacrifice. Because if I'm doing this in the name of Christ and in the way of Christ, God will see that and see that I'm doing this in the, the, the way of the person who sacrificed himself for the whole world. Then in verses 3 to 7, Paul exhorts the Ephesian Christians to live holy lives, specifically in the area of sexuality and speech, with a divine warning for those who don't. Verse 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now remember, in the city of Ephesus, sex outside of marriage, living a very sexually loose life, was a temptation. Because if you remember a sermon that I gave long ago when I was going through, when we were going through the book of Acts, Ephesus housed one of the seven wonders of the world. Do you remember what that was? It was the temple of Artemis, the largest temple to, one of the largest temples to a Greek god in the Greco-Roman world. And people from all around the Roman world and beyond the Roman world would come and want to see this temple built for the Greek god Artemis or the Roman name Diana. And because the tourism was so great, people who are loyal to all the other gods of Rome and Greece also built smaller temples around that giant, ornate temple. And some of these temples were dedicated to the sex cult, where you actually had temple prostitutes who represented the goddess of love. It could be Aphrodite or other goddesses. And then you would pay money to have sex with the prostitutes in order to get closer to their god and grow spiritually in their cultic theology. And so you have the Ephesians Christians justifying this by saying, oh, I'm just, I'm, this is my religious duty. I'm going to go and pay money and to have sex, right? It's, it's a religious thing. It's, it's a holy thing. It's a holy thing. And then now they're becoming Christians, and they're tempted by this, and Paul is encouraging them, no, 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 not so with you. You are not to even have a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Now, notice that God cares about the way they talk to each other and the, the way they talk to people outside of the church, right? He cares that there's no obscenities, cussing, swearing, all of that sort. I always have people, usually they're youth or young adults, who are the more emotional sort, that will come to me and say, God doesn't care about cussing. 
God doesn't care about swearing. I can use the S word or the F word if I want. It represents who I am and how I feel at the time. And so I'm just being honest with God, and God wants us to be honest. Well, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place. But rather, and this is interesting, if you have a problem with anger, if you have a problem with cussing, what is the biblical Pauline solution, strategy to overcome that? The end of verse 4. But rather, thanksgiving. Usually the people who cuss a lot and are always angry are the ones who don't have gratitude and thanksgiving in their hearts. And so if you build up a heart that's thankful and that's gratitudinal, I think, I, I think that, that was a Bushism, gratitudinal, you know. Um, if you, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to overcome a lot of your anger and a lot of your obscenity and coarse joking and foolish talk. Now, for the Ephesian Christian, what Paul is, act, is also saying is he's giving them a warning. A warning that is this, living a sexually loose and conversationally loose lifestyle will condemn them to hell. So if they are not Christian, Paul is warning them, don't do these things because these are the things that God will use to judge you when you go to hell. But for the Ephesian Christian who lived this way, Paul is warning them that you're making no investment in the heavenly treasures. You're making no investment. You're living like a sinner when you are actually supposed to live like a saint. You are called to holiness, but you're living an unholy life. Then in verse 8 to 14, Paul concludes by saying this. He gives the reason why the Ephesian Christians should live loving and holy lives. They are children of light, which is symbolic of Christ, not darkness, and should expose any darkness with light in order that they could all have a chance to live as children of light. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord, and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. For But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, there's a lot of things that I can say about this exegetically, but I'm just going to point these, this, this out. What are the five things Paul says living as children of light looks like? We all know what we shouldn't do. Don't be unloving. Don't uh, get involved in sexual looseness or be very loose in the way you talk to one another. But what are we supposed to focus on instead? And Paul here gives us five things starting from the end of verse 8. Live as children of light. How? For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness. So living a good life, righteousness, living a right life, and truth. Being focused on truth. Find out what pleases the Lord, which should be easy because you have the Bible in front of you, which is something that they didn't have, by the way, back then because the Bible wasn't fully codified 
yet, so you have an advantage to even the people back then here in Ephesus. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So those are the five things. Get involved in things that are good. Get involved in things that are right. Get involved in things that are truthful. Find out what pleases the Lord and do those things. And expose the darkness and don't be part of those sinful things. So what does Ephesians chapter 5, 1 to 4, mean for us at CCCTO? There's a lot of applications, as you can see, but I'll just bring a couple of them up for you as we uh, conclude this passage. We are to live and promote not just lives of Christian love, but also lives of Christian holiness. We need to focus on living a life that promotes not just Christian love, but also Christian holiness. For too long, we talk about love, we talk about forgiveness, we talk about grace, but we don't talk about the morality and the justice and the holiness of God and live that out and promote that. We need to start doing that more. Now, what the, that Biltong Church youth intern should have said was this. Yes, I love my gay friends. We all have gay friends. I love my gay friends. I love them all. But here's the thing. Christians don't only stand for love and grace. They also stand for holiness and truth. And because God is a God of love and grace and compassion, God is also a God of truth and holiness. And if God is a God of holiness, there are certain standards that we must follow. And according to the Bible, gay marriage and gay sexual activity isn't something that a Christian can promote. We will love them the best we can, but then there are boundaries of holiness to that love. And that's it. That's all he had to share. Now, of course, the interviewer would, would, would probably insist, but that doesn't sound um, that loving. And then, he, and then the Christian, that youth pastor intern could have easily said, there's always the love and there's always the holiness, and we need to balance those two because Christians are called to not just love and grace and compassionate, but holiness, morality, and truth. And that's it. That's all he had to say. And that's all you have to say, too. Because I guarantee you, if you haven't had this said to you yet, you're going to have this said to you in the future. Whether it be about gay marriage, whether it be about transracial people, whether it be about trans, transgender people, that is the tagline. How could you be against them when you're supposed to be people of love and grace? And they are confused, just as many of us are, that you forgot the other side of Christianity, which is also holiness, morality, and truth. But also, we have to remember that we are to love others by sacrificing for them with the way Jesus Christ sacrificed for us. I see a lot of us sacrificing and volunteering our time in either ministries or in helping one another in, in various needs when we have the spare time. But have you ever thought that sacrifice means that it's going to hurt a little? Even if you don't have the spare time, have you even sacrificed some of the time that you enjoy reading, playing video games, going online to shop, or doing whatever you like to do as a hobby and instead serve someone and love them? That is the love that Paul is telling us to do to the Ephesian church and now to us. It is not supposed to be a love 
that is of the spackle time, where after you paint everything, there's those little holes, and then you use your, you, you dab those things. But it's supposed to be part of that painting process. Secondly, remember as Christians, we are by default children of light, not of darkness. That's what we gather from verses 8 to 14. We are children of light, not of darkness. When you made a choice to respond to the gospel of Jesus, you made a choice to live a lifestyle of goodness, of rightness, and of truth. Because that's who Jesus the light is, goodness, rightness, and truth. And you want to look at your own life. Does your life look more like a pursuit of goodness, rightness, and truthfulness in what you say and do? Or does it look more like a pursuit of selfishness, sinfulness, and dishonesty? And if you are living a life that looks like it's more a pursuit of selfishness, sinfulness, and dishonesty, then you have to repent and come back to goodness, rightness, and truth, and the things of God. Third, a lot of us want to know. You know, people say, if we live our lives differently, people will come up to us and ask us, why are you so different? I want to believe in Jesus now. But that's never happened, right? Well, maybe for some of us, that has happened. I'm going to give you these six things, that if you do these six things, sooner or later, that will happen. They will come up to you and they will say, why are you so different? You're crazy. Why are you so different? And you have a chance to share the gospel because what I put down here is so legitimately biblical and Christian and so different from the world that if you just do these things, they will want to know, why do you believe in this thing, right? Number one, don't watch porn and don't get into masturbation. And say you don't if it ever comes up in conversation. When I hang out with my non-Christian friends, sometimes even family members, they'll talk about this stuff, right? When I used to work at Pizza Hut, Domino's, uh, and Papa John's, yes, I did work for the three most major awesome chains. They would talk about that, this stuff all the time. They would talk about their sexual conquests. And then it's like, oh, wow, you know, this is totally different than the church crowd. But when they talk about that, you don't say anything, or you share your point of view. And they ask you, well, you say, well, I don't watch porn. You know, I, I, I don't get involved in masturbation. And then they'll, they'll, they'll be like, why? I had one of my Christian disciples who turned away from the faith. So I shouldn't share about this because it makes me look bad because I discipled him, and then he turned away from the faith. So I'm sorry. I'm discipling someone right now, and he is, I think, sitting here. So I hope you don't turn away from the faith after I disciple you. <laughs> And, and he lives in China right now, but then we saw each other uh, at the banquet table of a mutual friend's wedding. Often, uh, you'll find out that as you get older, you won't really see your old friends unless if it's a wedding or, sadly, uh, a funeral. And then, I don't know how, but we got involved. We started talking about this stuff. I didn't broach the conversation he did. And I said, no, I, I think masturbation is wrong. You know, I think pornography is wrong. And he got so offended. And in a table of eight people, he's like, what? How can you say pornography and masturbation is wrong? I'm like, uh, there are people here, you know. <laughs> Let's, can we uh, talk about something else, right? Uh, and, and he couldn't understand that the Christian view is we are to lift up women 
and respect them and not lust after them. And the only person that we should think about sexually is our wife, our spouse. Don't watch porn. Don't get involved in masturbation and say you don't, even if it comes up in conversation. And this is the elephant in the room, okay? Uh, According to a 2000 study, 50% of Christians are struggling with masturbation and pornography. And 20% of them are women. So don't think this is just a guy issue. This is a women issue also. Number two, remain a virgin until you get married and share with others your commitment if the topic of sex comes up. Now that will blow them away. Remain a, wow, you're already a 40-year-old virgin? What? What's going on here? That will blow, why? Why? There are so many people available for you to sleep with. Why? Right? Remain a virgin until you get married and share with others your commitment to do so if the topic of sex ever comes up. Number three, never tell a sex joke. Never tell a sex joke. Number four, never negatively gossip about others, especially when there's a reason to. Like, you know that people will join in with you on gossip because this person or that person is so hateful and so annoying that you can gossip and people will just join in you, but you never gossip about them and you never complain about them, but you bring up things that you're thankful for of them. What? That will blow them away, blow people away. Even That will blow even Christians away. Don't cuss, even when you're extremely mad. That will, again, blow, but why do you never cuss when you're mad? You should cuss. You should get your anger out. And last but not least, be verbally thankful and express gratitude consistently. If there's one thing that I see very lacking in the non-Christian world is thankfulness and gratitude, especially when you're online and you're looking at the comments. <laughs> if, if you want to see the spew of hell, you just go to the comments and you'll read, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have read these comments. I'm, I'm now being downgraded as a human being more than, than uplifted, right? Now, here, this is just a side thing that I want to share with you that I found interesting. And what I call it, I, I call it the Christian table test. It also works for Mormons, okay? But if you can sit in a restaurant and you're listening to a conversation of a table of guys or girls next to you, and after 15 minutes, you see this happening, they're not talking about porn, they're not talking about sex, they're not cussing, they're not doing sex jokes, they're not gossiping, they're probably Christians or they're Mormons. And let me tell you something, you are to be like one of those people, to be a testimony. And by the way, I have had people come up to my table after they finish eating and say, you know what, I was so uplifted by your conversation because I totally agree with you guys. Say, what church do you go to, right? So it works. Let me quickly go through this. Number four, not even a hint of sexual immorality means we must give up those things in our lives that are only semi-sexual for the sake of God's holiness. We need to be willing to give up even those things that are a little sexual and inappropriate for the sake of God's holiness. And if you don't like that, don't argue with me. That's what the Bible says here in verse 3. So for those of you that are guys, no more girly magazines. It's not pornography, though. It's still very close to, it's like borderline pornography. No more, those posters, take them down. It's, not, it's just girls in bikinis. Take them down. Take it down. Not even a hint 
of sexual immorality. Or for girls also, it's just, it's just a really cool, buff-looking guy. Oh, my goodness, I wish I had a boyfriend that has a six-pack like that. Take that down. Take that down, okay? And this is probably more for women than men. Romance novels. Ooh. See, a lot of times we don't think that romance novels is like pornography, but for, in a woman's mind, it is very much like that. Guys get stimulated by what we see. For women, you get stimulated by the story and the anticipation of that sexual encounter, which romance novels know how to tempt you in thinking about those things. Get rid of them. Dress more conservatively, whether you're a guy or a girl. Reserve even non-intercourse sex for marriage. You'd be surprised. 20 years ago, I was in youth group. I was just a, a youth pastor intern. And then one of the high schoolers rose her hand. Her name's Vicky. And then we were talking about dating relationships. And she just said out of the blue, so is oral sex wrong? I'm like, isn't that obvious, right? It's not. Because what have we been teaching as a church and, and in Christendom? You can't have sexual intercourse before marriage, right? But you see, if you can't have sexual intercourse before marriage, there's a whole bunch of things that you can do before you even get there, right? The, you know, different forms of kissing, all these different oral things, everything, Okay. And we don't talk about that because we're so, we, we just don't have sex before marriage. But we're talking about intercourse. So they think they can do whatever they want uh, as long as they don't get to the, the, the intercourse part and it's okay. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Reserve even the non-intercourse stuff for marriage. And last but not least, when it comes to bring all of these things to light, because no one ever talks about these things in church. Find an honest and strong Christian of the same sex who you can team up with for long-term accountability and prayer. And this relates to verses 11 and 14, so that these things can be brought to light. It is too easy to hide our secret sins or get away with acting spiritual on Sunday when we really are not. What needs to happen is to know that all of our dark actions will be brought to the light, that someone will actually know about it. And that someone can be that accountability partner that will keep you accountable. And if you need help in finding one, please let me know. I've had accountability partners all my life. It's, I found it very helpful, and I could give you a lot of good tips on that. So in conclusion, be loving, be holy, and be a light of Christ in a dark world this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for calling us to be loving. Thank you for calling us to be holy. And thank you for calling us to be a light. It is because we are, by default, as Christians, the light of the world that we are to be loving and holy. And help us to mix that together well in being representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth. We pray your blessings upon this congregation that we would live this out this week, whether at home, uh, whether here even at church or whether at our school or work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.